from the Credit Union National Association. This is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people. Credit Union ideas. Welcome to the CUNA News Podcast. I'm Assistant Editor Brock Fritz. In this week's episode, I'm joined by cybersecurity expert Teresa Payton. Now the CEO of Fortalist Solutions, Peyton is a former star of the TV show Hunted, as well as the first female White House Chief Information Officer. The author was also named 2019 Women's Cybersecurity Leader of the Year. I spoke to Peyton in September, shortly before she addressed the 2022 CUNA Operations and Member Experience Council and CUNA Technology Council Conference in Las Vegas. Let's bring Teresa in to discuss her experience go over the top three reasons cybercriminals are able to attack successfully, and show credit union professionals what they can do to outthink and outmaneuver cybercriminals. Thank you for joining us, Teresa. Want to introduce yourself? I'm Teresa Payton. I'm the CEO of Fortalist Solutions. I'm also the co-author of two books on sort of protecting your internet identity and your digital footprint, the author of Manipulated, and I'm the former chief information officer at the White House from uh, 2006 to 2008. That's President George W. Bush, and the first and only female to hold that role. A lot of things to talk about. I want to start by giving us an overview of Fortalis and what you provide and what you're there for. Sure. Um, So I set out to actually build a cybersecurity and intelligence company that I wish had been around to serve uh, the White House and serve uh, the financial services industry. So we're really focused on, you know, kind of three areas. And we absolutely love um, working with credit unions. Um, So can can you just keep this between us? I got a little secret to share. Um, So all those years I worked in the financial services industry, I was hoping they wouldn't figure this out about me, but um, I'm actually the member of two credit unions. So anyways, and it's just between us. Don't, don't tell anybody. So I, when I think about um, kind of the problem set, we really focus on three areas and uh, we don't try to do everything for everybody, but we focus on one, you know, really thinking about what your C-suite and your CISO and CIO in particular need uh, as a service. So really sort of supplementing their team, um, being that third-party sounding board, everything from thinking through the proactive ethical hacking, red teaming, to what do I need to do for security engineering? So that's kind of one area. The other area um, that we like to focus, and again, it's to really be an extension of an organization's C-suite and technology teams is thinking about that data privacy operation and risk and compliance operations. So that can be technically checking all of the controls. It could be, hey, there's a new piece of legislation out and we're going to be held accountable for that. And so that falls into that second piece. And then the third piece has to do with intelligence. Um, so that's a combination of really understanding how the adversary thinks and behaves and how they might surveil the people in your organization, the digital footprint of your organization to take advantage of that digital footprint. So everything from how consumer account compromise really does lead to business account and business platform compromise, 
and really understanding, uh, you know, perhaps maybe most of your third party vendor or uh, employee population or your own employee population could actually be involved in some type of a data breach where their corporate accounts and old passwords happen to be available for password spraying attacks. So really thinking about what is that digital footprint and what is the intelligence around that footprint look like? And more importantly, how do we scrub that and make sure that the doors are locked and the windows are locked? So that's just a little bit about us. I just thought of this now, but when someone reaches out to you, do they typically know exactly what they want or do they kind of know they want to be more secure and then you go from there? I think that's a great question, Brock. Um, So I'd say about 40% of the time when people reach out to us, they're like, you know what? The regulators are coming. I got to get ready. Sure. Uh, I have to do my annual pen test. I need to update my policies and procedures manuals. And can you do a risk assessment on our third-party vendor program? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they know exactly what they want. And we say, here's what we're good at. And sure, we can do that for you. But then the rest really fall into the boat of, I know I need to do more. I have limited resources, limited time. I'm not really sure where to start. And I've already spent money on these things. So with those types of requests, we typically say, hey, why don't we do an optimization discussion first? What have you already done? Let's make sure all of those uh, assets and equities, that those are that we've laid them in the foundation the most effective way possible. And then where you have gaps, let's kind of move forward from there. I always say it's, you know, it's a lot like this um, HGTV shows where somebody says, you know, can you redesign you know, the flow and the way things look, and they end up reusing a lot of the things that you had. They just used it in another way that made that piece of furniture or that rug, you know, really pop and really get the most value out of it. And then they introduce new things um, into the house. So it's sort of like that, you know, just really getting an assessment of what do you have? What do you not have? What is the mission of the organization? What are your concerns? And then what's the delta between the two? And then let's get focused there. So you've worked in cybersecurity at financial institutions. Might kind of seem a little obvious, but why is cybersecurity important in that industry? And is it threatened more often than other industries? Yeah, it's, this is a great question. And you know, one of the things I think that makes my point of view a little um, unique and special uh, is I actually started off as a developer. Uh, okay. So my focus was on big data analytics, building algorithms, making sure you as a customer love to do business with us. So if you're like, look, I'm only going to, I'm only going to transact business with financial institutions that are hip and with it, um, then you probably wanted mobile banking and you wanted to be with one of the financial institutions that had that first. That was my responsibility to make sure you had that. But what's interesting is, is when you're on that cutting edge of technology, you're on the cutting edge of fraud. And we didn't even call it cybercrime yet when I first started working in the financial services industry. So why is it so important for the financial services industry? Well, most criminals go where the action is. They like to go where the money is. And uh, and so they are constantly finding ways to try and get in between financial institutions and their customers. Mm -hmm. And if they can't get into the financial institution, well, then they'll go keep working it until they find the weakest kind of chink in the armor, so to speak. So it might be a third-party vendor, uh, as we've seen in the past with, for example, attacks on something like SolarWinds or Kasaya, they actually went for a trusted platform, knowing that it would be installed 
and that they could come out of the trusted installation and potentially do bad things. Thankfully, most of that's been remediated. Same thing with Log4j. And then if they can't effectively get in that way, why not socially engineer your customers and your vendor suppliers? So they will always go after the financial services industry. But what I will say, and I tell people this in other industries when they say, you know, what's who, what's an example of an industry doing most things right? Mm-hmm. I always point to the financial services industry. Mm-hmm. Most of the time between regulation, but also this duty of care, like a real emotional responsibility and a response to that duty of care Financial institutions want their customers to have safer, secure, easy access to their money. And because of that, and because they're such a high target, there's a lot going right in the financial services industry that all other industries get the opportunity to benefit from. How do credit unions stay protected and can you be completely protected? No organization is 100% safe. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's just the reality of of the technology debt that we're all carrying and and sort of the fragility that can happen in sort of our third-party relationships. So what what makes third-party relationships so powerful is it allows you to to scale and offer lots of different services that you couldn't afford to build on your own. But at the same time, that creates a level of fragility, um, you know, because it's a patchwork, if you will, of how you provide services. And it's, it's in those spaces of the patchwork that criminals really try to take advantage uh, of all of us. So nothing's 100% safe. What I would say, though, is uh, there's a lot the credit unions are doing right. And first of all, I would encourage everybody to look at the thought leadership being provided out of CUNA. So there's a lot of work that has already been done, a lot of thought leadership, a lot of research. Um, Also, make sure your voices are heard and leverage uh, an organization like CUNA to do that. So the Hill has a revolving door of staff, just like many organizations do. And so you have to educate and re-educate. There's super smart people on the Hill, but you need to make sure legislation and inquiry into the vendors that supply your ecosystem is an ongoing thing, not just by the regulators, but also by the oversight committees on the Hill. So not that you're asking for more laws, you're just asking for more awareness and more accountability um, kind of across the board in the ecosystem. So I would say start there. Next, I would look at the resources that you have for free with Department of Homeland Security Assistant Division, the FBI InfraGuard. There's typically an office somewhere near you uh, where your credit union is operating. Uh, the FBI, uh, they will come in. This is no charge to you. Your tax dollars already pay for it. They will do briefings. Uh, They will give you all kinds of bulletins and information that you can pass along to your credit union members. And uh, they'll be on top of like the latest attacks on financial services institutions. They won't name victims, but they will tell you, here's how they were taken advantage of. Here's what happened. Here was the things you need to look for. And they'll even publish bulletins for you to say, hey, if you don't want to be a ransomware victim, kind of look for these file names. Uh, so there's a lot of different resources available to you that don't require opening up a checkbook. I highly recommend you develop those relationships before you have a problem. So get to know your FBI InfraGuard, find out whether or not you have a DHS field office, get to know them, Secret Service as well, because they work financial services, white crimes, and white collar crimes. And you know, make sure those relationships are solid before you have a problem. 
so you know exactly who to call and how to get help. And I assume this stuff is always changing and adapting. So those are kind of relationships and resources you need to keep going back to? They are. Uh, Most of them hold quarterly uh, or at least every other month or monthly meetings. And you can actually join like a financial services sector. So you get very unique bulletins set to you. There's also some great information on physical security. Uh, So if you've got brick and mortar for your credit union in certain markets, you can find out, you know, what are gangs doing? uh, What type of crime is happening? What are some of the best practices that people are deploying that are really working um, for those brick and mortar uh, operations? So that that can be incredibly helpful as well, Um, you know, kind of keeping those relationships there. And then the other thing I would say is depending on what you've chosen for your technology to power your back office, uh, to power uh, how you deliver services to your customers. So for example, if you've decided uh, you're using Amazon cloud services versus Google versus Microsoft, make sure you really understand who is the engineering team behind the sales team that supports your implementation. Make an effort, they want to get to know you. So make an effort to ask that question um, especially if you're in the sales process, uh, so that you have a highly motivated salesperson to make sure you know who they are. Um, I will tell you, you know, for example, uh, Microsoft has a very impressive uh, incident response team uh, that's available to their customers. Um, you want to make sure you're taking advantage of any kind of free courses that they're offering around configuration. You know, oftentimes what's happening to financial institutions and other industry verticals is as they move to the cloud, they don't realize there's some important configuration settings that need to be set to make sure that everything is secured down to the lowest level. And oftentimes, whether it's Amazon or Google or Microsoft, they will actually offer free courses to your team that gives them sort of the, here are the leading industry best practices that could be leveraged for locking down, um, you know, kind of your implementation. You've been... White House, uh, TV, financial institutions. How much has this space changed since you've been involved? Just the wide cybersecurity world, how much has that developed? The motives of fraudsters and cyber criminals, that's, in, that's unfortunately enduring. Sure. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, so it's uh, get, taking busy people, playing to emotions, and taking advantage of it and taking their money. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't change. So dirtbags are dirtbags, right? Yep. So bad people are bad people. But how they're able to digitally surveil you and do these attacks that seem, why would they pick on you know little old me or my little old fi- financial institution? How am I even on their radar? I'm not a big deal, you know. I'm not. I'm not J Lo and Ben Affleck. I'm yeah. not. Um, you know, I'm not ABC company in the Fortune 10. Uh, I'm just little old me. And and what people don't realize that has changed is the ability to surveil and come up with tactics to go after, you know, everybody other than JLo and Ben Affleck. Mm-hmm. Like that is able to be done at a speed and a scale that is affordable that would frighten most people who don't do this for a living. So I always tell people who are entering the field, I hope you enjoy learning because your job is going to change every day. Sure. Um, so if you want status quo, this is probably not the field for you. But if you love to be constantly learning 
and you want to know that what you do is vitally important every single day, this is definitely the career for you. Because as technology change, as our adoption of technology changes, how we conduct business, how we uh, conduct our personal lives, transactions, mm-hmm. our personal lives. How many people are doing Teladoc today that never did Teladoc before the pandemic? Right. And so as we're evolving and changing our uses, uh, cyber criminals don't say, gosh, this seems harder to do, or I need to learn something new. They go where the action is, they learn something new, and they just keep committing their crimes. But they're able to do them at a speed and scale that I did not see at the beginning of my career. Now that you you mentioned some tips you would offer people, I guess going back to the start of your career, what got you involved with this in the first place? And I don't know, did you have some challenges like being a woman in the White House or going to a field that many people might think is male-dominated? I'm very fortunate that even though there have not been a lot of women around the table uh, in financial services industry, or even today in, in my line of work, that there were women from time to time who saw something in me and men mm. who invested in me okay. and who I would like to say gave me advice and constructive feedback to help me grow to be the best version of myself that I could be. Okay. Uh, did I have people from time to time tell me I needed to change? Yes. Um, so I will tell you, I was given advice very early on. I have much longer hair than I do now. I was given advice very early on, lose the hair. Okay. And, uh, I said, I'm sorry, I'm not going to cut my hair. So if that's going to hold me back, I guess it's going to hold me back. So I have been given, you know, what I, I believe the person meant well, um, but they just said, it's hard to take you seriously with all that hair. Okay. And, um, you know, so, so there are some things that I think are uniquely, um, different to you know men versus women in the, in in the workplace when you're in a male dominated field. I know I do believe that person meant well, but I decided I'm going to do that my way, um, and so I didn't lose the hair. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, kind of fast forward to today. I mean, there are times uh, where people assume I'm not technical, mm-hmm. uh, or they'll say, you know, I really need to have somebody on your staff. Uh, technical to talk to because um, you're, you know, they don't say you're a talking head, but you can tell that's kind of what they're thinking. Okay. And I get it. I'm a CEO, so I'm not going to be the fastest person on the keyboard, but I did come up through the technical ranks. And even if I didn't come up through the technical ranks, does that make me less of a qualified professional to talk to? Um, so there can be sometimes that bias, um, but I take it in the spirit of, I assume most people mean well, they're busy, they're very stressed out. This is a very stressful topic. So I take it from the spirit of, you know, it's okay. You're coming from where you're coming from on this. I'm coming from where I'm coming from. And my experience is different. And so I always say to people, especially during this time of coming out of post-pandemic, my focus when I encounter that is, always give people grace and always give people space. Mm -hmm. And I would hope that somebody would do the same thing for me if I, you know, sort of stepped on my own toes um, in a professional or personal way, um, encountering somebody new and, you know, kind of judging a book by its cover, let's say. Sure. Okay. So I just asked a fairly generalized question about 
the field being male dominated. Is there anything else that people don't know about the industry or something that might be a stereotype that you don't, you haven't seen or don't think is true? Well, the good news is there are, from a diversity, equity, and inclusion perspective, uh, we still have a long way to go in all of the technology space, um, also primarily cybersecurity. Um, since I came from the developer world, I will say that that seemed to be a little bit more diverse than what I experience sometimes in cybersecurity, but a lot of great work has been done. Um, so you know, really starts in K through 12. Uh, you can't do it after the pipeline's already built. So you can't say, gosh, you know, we'd love to hire uh, from a DE&I perspective. We'd love to hire people from non-traditional backgrounds. We're okay hiring people without college degrees. Uh, you know, we want to hire uh, people of different ethnic diversity, gender diversity, and then say, gosh, but nobody applied. Mm -hmm. So like, you're not going to solve that problem by saying, well, we, you know, we support DEI, but nobody applied. So therefore we, we get what we get. So we have, we have to kind of, kind of maybe almost like go to outer space a little bit, you know, sort of ride up there with William Shatner and look down at the earth for a moment and, and sort of ask ourselves, maybe we are not starting early enough. Um, so really encouraging K through 12 and talking to students and saying, you know, you could be anything you want to be, especially in America, which is amazing. Um, how about considering cybersecurity? And what I do find when I talk to young people, K through 12, even college or post, you know, and even people in the workforce, and I talk to them about all the different roles you can play in cybersecurity, they'll say, I had no idea. So somebody will say, oh, it's too late for me. I was an English major. I'm like, I need people who can write and communicate. Mm -hmm. It's not too late for you. Uh, or somebody will say, funny enough, I had somebody say, you know, I have a degree in drama, like education and awareness. It needs to be a lot more interesting. It can be pretty boring, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So the fact that you have you know, a degree in drama, which means you understand how to relate to people, you know, solving cybercrime is very much a hearts and mind problem. It's not just a technology problem. So I would say the way we solve the diversity issue is we have to change our brand promise to people. Uh, we have to change what we look like when we present ourselves to people. You know, so if people see a picture of a hacker in a hoodie hunched over in the dark with blue and green lighting, there's a whole group of people who say that doesn't even look like me. I don't relate to that. So that therefore that must not be me. Mm. And I do think we could do a better job K through 12 post K through 12. I think the media could do a better job. You know, I always say to people when somebody says um, there's a new cyber attack and there's a new headline, what's typically the stock photo image that you see, don't think about it. And people say hacker in a hoodie. Hunched yep. over yeah. And so most people say, you know, even though I love hoodies, Brock, you know, you don't look at the, I don't look at that image and go, yeah, that looks totally like me. Sure. No, yeah. I believe in good posture. Right. So I would never be hunched over a computer <laughs> in a hoodie. I would, I would have good posture. So I, I just say all that to say, I think we absolutely have to do a better job if we want to change uh, the outcome. It is better. Uh, the last statistic I saw on this is we have nearly 25% of the cybersecurity uh, ecosystem of professionals is female. Okay. And many of those are engineers and technical. 
So I think we have more to go. And what I would tell anybody listening to this, male, female, we need everybody to fight the good fight. Mm-hmm. And so regardless of you have a degree, you don't have a degree, you're working, you haven't started working, there is a place for you in fighting cybercrime. And so you just have to find the right organizations and the right way to plug into it. So switching gears a little bit, when the war in Ukraine started, there's talk about increased cyber attacks and kind of anything like that that happens. Has that come to fruition with Ukraine? And then are there like busy seasons or times where cyber attacks get more or less frequent? There are busy seasons. I would say, not that I want to publicly say when my vacations are, but it seems to be when I take vacation. Uh, But holiday weekends tend to be when cyber criminals, especially nation states, tend to strike. There is something about they know that uh, it's typically going to be a skeleton crew. Mm -hmm. You know, our national holiday schedule is published. And uh, you you see the same thing in European countries. So if they have, you know, Boxing Day and bank holidays, which are different from ours, their Mother's Day is a different uh, day from ours. You'll see that uh, typically those cyber attacks are timed to be around that time frame. If you think about Colonial Pipeline, that was right before Memorial Day weekend. Um, you know, so if you're trying to go for maximum impact to get people to pay a ransom or you know whatever the case may be, um, with Ukraine and Russia, what? So two two comments on that. And the first one is with Russia, just because you haven't seen anything calamitous, never count Russia out on their ability, both kind of their nation state groups, uh, their government sponsored groups, but their ability to also recruit Russia sympathizers and pay them handily to do things. So I, n- I never count Russia out. But then the second thing is, is the, the good news is, is we all had a feeling that there would be both a kinetic uh, invasion of Ukraine as well as a digital. And the Ukrainians, I mean, they are tough fighters. You know, they were running their own phone cables and entrenching that in phone cables into trenches, uh, knowing that Internet could be cut. You had Elon Musk, private sector you know, capitalist, who basically said, I'm going to send a Starlink up to try and keep Ukraine Connected. So I think what Russia is finding is that the world is watching on this particular one. And so when they attack, there's a counterattack typically ready to go. Does that mean 100% of the time we're going to be successful in deflecting, detecting, and responding to every attack? No. But Russia has their hands full with the kinetic part of the invasion. And I think they're finding it hard to be in multiple domains, you know, so air, space. Uh, water and digital. It's hard to manage all of those cyber warfare domains at the same time. And so don't count them out. Uh, but uh, you know, thankfully, the world's response has been uh, stronger than Russia's attack so far. I think in this case, it might be fairly obvious because there's a war going on there. But in general, if Russia does something, are you able to figure out pretty easily who attacked? Or is it kind of difficult and just someone did something and let's try to stop it? Yeah, attribution, although not impossible, attribution does take time. I mean, we do see from time to time in the cases that we've worked in my company where the nefarious operatives 
purposely used uh, technology called you know VPN and proxy servers. So it's a way to anonymize yourself and hide yourself or put on a disguise. And they will purposely route their traffic through China or Russia or Iran or Turkey. So they'll pick, you know, kind of pick the name of who's been in the media headlines as launching cyber attacks. And they'll be like, oh, you know, it wasn't us over here. Uh, and, it, and sometimes it's Americans who are part of cyber criminal syndicates. I mean, we're no angels. We have our own criminals. Sure. And uh, if and when an attack comes from Russia, the other piece that Putin's regime is very good at doing uh, and I write about this in my book, Manipulated, is they're very good at setting up plausible deniability for him. Um, so the order can come out of, you know, I, I'm very frustrated with Europe right now, you know, from Putin, uh, you know, it could be something as nebulous as I'm very frustrated with Europe right now. And the fact that uh, they put economic sanctions on fuel, and they're saying they're not going to buy fuel, but it's going to be very cold. And so they're going to get stuff from Germany, and Germany is getting it from Turkey. And then what ends up happening is three degrees of separation from the military and the government regime is a group of cyber operatives who are trained in causing mayhem. So you could see them go after the infrastructure. Hopefully what I just painted there, Brock, is just a fictional account of what could happen, not yeah. anything that's going to happen. Uh, but you could see where they might say, you know, I'm going to go after Norway for Norway supplying uh, things to Europe in my stead because, you know, I we need that economically to survive. We mm -hmm. need to sell fuel. So that, that to me makes it harder to do attribution, not impossible, but it's, I always tell people, you know, at the beginning hours and days and weeks of an investigation, just because you see digital tracks coming from a country doesn't mean that's where physically the geography is located of where the cyber criminals are. It could be a ruse to try and throw you off the track. Your show Hunted, how'd that come about? And what was the purpose behind the show? And what was your most interesting part about doing it? Sure. And, um, you know, it's a bummer that it, it didn't get uh, renewed in the United States. It's a very successful franchise in the UK and Australia. Okay. And and uh, Danny and Ben, who work at Fortalis, they're, they're on the UK show or have, have been for the years. And Ben is on the new release for Australia, which just got picked up a second season. But uh, the, the concept of the show is that ordinary citizens get an hour's notice to go on the run mm. and they need to stay within a certain geography and they have certain rules they're supposed to play by um, being on the run. And if they can stay on the run and make it to a, a waypoint, which they don't find out about until a couple of days before, um, then they'll win cash money. And then there's a limited finite set of resources that can get in a car, conduct an investigation and potentially apprehend the fugitives. And then there's a limited number of resources in a command center. So I managed um, the intelligence operation in the command center. And so uh, they would go on the run. And all we would get in the command center after they had an hour head start, we would get one picture, one. And it would be just a headshot, first and last name, last address they were seen at, nothing else. So actually, I work sometimes on uh, task forces for real hardened criminal mm -hmm. situations. And I get more on the criminals than I did on these people. Like sure. typically, I get a social security number. Um, 
So we're just looking at people and we're just not even sure who they are, what they do for a living. We've got a picture. Typically they don't make it look like how they look every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's hard finding them. And uh, so it was, it was great. I mean, we, we definitely did incredible work in the command center. Uh, Lenny DePaul, who's retired U.S. Marshals, uh, he ran the ground hunters and uh, he did a great job having his people strategically positioned and managing the you know, boots on the ground investigations. And it was really important that my team and I, when we gave them a lead, that it was a good lead because if you send, we only had nine cars. So we had nine teams of two. And so if I sent a car to Miami, but the fugitive was actually, you know, up in the, you know, Pensacola, that's really bad Mm because you're going to lose a whole day. Um, And so you can imagine these fugitives were planting ruses all over the place. And anybody you interviewed, if they were friends with them, they were completely lying but it was, it was good fun. Uh, we all stay in touch with each other and who knows, maybe one day we'll get picked up again for a reunion show. I would love to yeah, do a charity. It sounds fun. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to have like Guy Fieri go on the run Oh sure. and see if Lenny and I could get him. So I, I just go to some diner. Yeah. Just crossover yes. shows with some people. <laughs> yeah. Right. So let's have you like might the stick property. out a little bit. Yeah. Maybe but... we send the property brothers on the run. We'll yeah. send Guy Fieri. Right. Um, He'd have to dye his hair. Yeah. And then raise money for like cancer or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Wouldn't it be there great? You go. It'd be awesome. Yeah. So you'll be talking at this conference at the end of the month. What do you hope the attendees leave your talk thinking or feeling or knowing? That this really, it sounds daunting. When you read the headlines, it doesn't sound great. And I want people to be engaged, empowered, inspired. Like this is a problem we can tackle. And no, nothing's 100% safe, but man, you could do a whole heck of a lot, even on a tight budget, even with stretched thin resources to really outthink and outmaneuver the cyber criminals. Oftentimes, you know, they do things you don't expect but we study them. So I'm going to teach everybody who comes to this what to do that the criminals don't expect. And oftentimes the way to outthink and outsmart them is to do something, you know, they believe everybody operates the same way. And so yeah. I'm going to teach you some things they'll never see it coming um, that you can do to make your, your systems more secure. I'm going to talk about sort of like the top three. I'll go, I always kind of go backwards about 12 months worth of cases. And I'll talk about the top three reasons cyber criminals were able to get in um, and how to think about those and actually how to go back to the office and mitigate those. And most of my mitigating controls are conversations and changes in policy and process. It's not running out and always buying a product. And then I think it's really important to understand where are they headed next so you can build for it now. So like, for example, you know, if you, you know, I'm a big outdoors person. So if you uh, read the farmer's almanac, And it starts telling you like these locations are going to have droughts and these locations probably have wildfires and these will probably have, you know, lots of rain, maybe hurricane season. You can start thinking now, if you look two years out, you can start doing different things to bolster your defenses and offensives of your brick and mortar. If you know what's coming, my goal is to tell you two years from now, here's where technology is headed, which means I believe cyber criminals are going to head there. So here's what you need to do right now. So you're ready for that. Um, So I've been doing predictions for 10 years. 
And so I'll be going over my 2023 predictions. Um, I will tell everybody my predictions do come true, but I don't always get the year right. Okay. So sometimes I'm, you know, I say it's going to happen in 2018. It's 2020, which means you got extra time to get Yeah, there you go. Um, And I have had people, this is the part for me that's really important to me because if all I did was just sort of like scare and alarm everybody, I didn't do my job. What matters the most to me is either at the event or even later, I've had people reach out to me and say, you know, you told me to do this thing and we did it. And I'm happy to report, even though we had an incident, we actually recovered from it. Or when we started hearing about ransomware and extortion, where we were like, we heard her three years earlier. She said this was going to be a thing. And we were like, we don't think so, but we went ahead and followed your advice. And we were okay when we got hit. That to me is really important. That engagement, that empowerment, that you gave us three things to do. We were only able to do one, but oh my gosh, we're so glad we did it. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's my goal is I want people to walk away saying, I know what I'm going to do. That first staff meeting back at the office, I'm going to ask these questions and we're going to get a plan together. I'll be there in Vegas um, listening to that. And it sounds like it'll be interesting and I'm looking forward to it. Is there anything else you want to bring up today or anything you want to cover? No, I just want to take a moment to thank Kuna for putting me on the agenda. It's always an honor to be asked to, to join a meeting. And I just want to thank everybody at the credit unions for doing what you do every day. Um, You were so vital to your members, um, depending on who the members are you serve, and so vital to their livelihoods. And, you know, I I know myself, when I first started my small business, I turned to the credit union. The credit union helped me get things up up and running. So thank you. Thank you all. And I hope you walk away feeling empowered, safer, knowing what to do to be more secure, and just keep doing great work. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher Radio. 